This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. As the Euros take centre stage, Liverpool unwind, though the Reds' Premier League rivals' chaos continues. Everton divided over Rafa, Spurs even unable to find a new boss, and Manchester United unwilling to stump up for their top summer target still a year on. We'll get into that, but also analyse the Wiley Foxes as Leicester continue to impress. Here for today's Blood Red, we have our Blood Red writer, Matt Addison and David Lynch. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well. Matt, I'll uh, I'll come to you first up. In terms of Everton across Stanley Park and Rafael Benitez, the rumours intensifying. Um, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think uh, it looks like he is the leading contender at this moment. And it's kind of dragged on a little bit. I remember we spoke about this this time last week in terms of when those initial sorts of reports were coming out. And it's one that we've kind of had a little bit of time now to, to have a think about, contemplate what it might mean. And I think for me, it kind of splits into to three different parties. I think from, from a Liverpool fan's perspective, I think you can kind of get over it. You can kind of understand um, why he would like to, to sort of do that. I think it would possibly, for, for some people, slightly taint his achievements in the past for Liverpool. But for me, I don't think you can <clears throat> sort of take those away from him. Um, I think from his perspective, it makes sense. I think in terms of, obviously, he's living locally, his family are here, he's settled. Obviously, the Tottenham job is available, but there's not really too many other options for him in the Premier League. We know he's been away as as far as as China and and various other places. You can kind of see from his perspective why it might make sense. And then that just leaves the the third party, which is is Everton fans. And I think it's going to be quite difficult if this does happen for them to get on board with it. That's where it kind of falls down for me and, and becomes a little bit of a sticking point. I think we've seen already there's been banners and, and stuff outside Goodison Park kind of protesting this idea that he will become their manager. And I think we've kind of seen it a little bit with him in the past. Obviously, when he went to Chelsea, wasn't particularly well liked, went in there, did quite well and, and kind of won them over. But I think for me, it's going to take a lot to win over Everton fans. I think the Everton job is a more difficult one than Chelsea. It's you know far easier to be successful at Chelsea, particularly at that time when they were one of the, the better teams in the Premier League. I think the Everton job is a much bigger task. It's going to take much longer to get them to a level where they would be happy with. And I think that's where it is a little bit of a strange one for me. I think for Everton, it's it's almost a little bit of a PR own goal to, to kind of go for him, make it publicly known that he is the number one because look, there'll be some Everton fans that are quite happy with it. But I think for the majority, it's going to take a long time to, to properly convince them. Yeah, it is a, a strange start to the summer, isn't it, Dave? That we come off the back of a, a season that was truncated and a, a fair few clubs deciding to part ways with their managers. Wolves are the only ones at the moment who have found somebody to step in. But it, obviously, Everton's situation is different with Angelotti going off to Real Madrid. But it, it does feel as though they're really is a, a dearth of candidates out there for clubs looking to maybe try and break into the next level. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's, um, like you say, I think it's a slightly different sort of situation for Everton. And you feel a little bit sorry for them because their manager sort of left them high and dry and it wasn't something they were ever, you know, preparing for. I suppose it it underlines the importance of clubs being being ready for these sort of things happening. I know, you know, Liverpool are, are, are that sort of team and sort of club, their setup is very much that they are always keeping an eye on these things, you know, n- not just in terms of playing staff in case, you know, a, a huge bid comes in for Salah and they have to 
move to replace him. They're always keeping an eye on players, but also managers. They're aware of who's on the market, who who they could get, who, who you know who's a good fit for what they've got. And and I think with Everton, they've just been caught in the hop a little bit, haven't they? they? They're not looked ready to sort of make this move, and and that's why we're in a situation where you know throwing some names out that that are not being particularly well received by fans. I think there's there's other clubs who deserve more criticism in the sense that they knew that this was coming, this period where they had to recruit someone new. So, you know, you, you can't be too harsh on Everton. But but yeah, they've just been very ill prepared for, for replacing the manager and we've seen, you know, so much controversy around the, the Benitez appointment now and, and, and it's interesting that some of the fresh reports today are suggesting that he's one of I think eight or nine candidates now, which is sort of really watering things down, isn't it? And and to me, sort of suggests that that was an idea that was floated in the media to see how it would be received by fans. And because there's been such a strong backlash, they're now sort of moving away from it. So I'm maybe, you know, less confident that Benitez is going to end up there now than I was when we spoke about this last time. Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose, Matt, it, it sort of goes to show how well Liverpool are run with FSG, with Jurgen Klopp there. Because, I mean, it wasn't all too many months ago when the, the Bayern Munich job and the, the Germany German national job were coming up that there were sort of tentative links towards Jurgen Klopp. Of course, he ruled them out. But as Dave says, they are always there planning and, and wondering what could happen. Yeah, I think that's the, the strange thing. I know we've sort of said we kind of feel sorry for, for Everton in the fact that they probably weren't expecting Carlo Ancelotti to leave. But I think most clubs would kind of have a clear plan in terms of, of what they wanted if Jurgen Klopp was to leave next week. And obviously it's not going to happen. But if it did, Liverpool, I'm sure, would have some sort of idea of maybe not a specific name that they'd want to go for, but certainly the kind of style of manager, somebody who would fit into the way that they do things. There's a very clear strategic plan to move forward. And I think, you know, they'll be obviously thinking of, of possibly succeeding Jurgen Klopp one day. That's still sort of three years or so down the line, but they'll have those plans in place. They'll know roughly what they want to do. They'll probably have a short list of, of candidates. And we've been through those, you know, plenty of, of times on the podcast over the last few months of, sort of planning ahead and, and thinking about that. I think where I don't feel sorry for Everton is it's kind of like they they didn't see it coming, where I think, you know, if if Real Madrid or, or a team like that come in for Carlo Ancelotti, I don't think it's a massive shock that, that he decided to leave. I think, obviously, he bought into the project and we were all surprised how quickly he moved away. But there was always an opportunity for, for a bigger club, Real Madrid, you know, being one of the biggest teams in the world. There was always that opportunity that he might be swept away by by one of those clubs and then you look at, at the shortlist I mean each of the names that, that comes up you think it, it, they've somehow find a, a, a new way to, to come up with a new style of play or a new kind of way of, of managing there's no sort of consistency between sort of Nuno, Rafa, some of the younger managers and and that's that's where it kind of breaks down I think for me in, in terms of them in, in terms of Liverpool you you know exactly what they would do you know the kind of names that, that they go for Whereas with Everton and, and, well, certainly Tottenham and, and one or two other clubs as well, it, it kind of seems a little bit scattergun in terms of, of the approach. And I think that's where it's it's slightly more difficult, I think, to, to feel sorry for them. I think yeah, there is what, that, just, maybe that blueprint, is there? Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, guys, just to come in on that. I think what's interesting about it as well is that Everton appointed a, a sort of director of football to, to avoid yeah. situations like this. Marcel Brands is there to give them a very clear identity so that if your manager leaves, you're prepared to... Um, you know, you're prepared to replace him. You know exactly you've got. You know exactly what your squad is built for. What style of football you're trying to sort of embed there. And and, and it, you know, Everton still, despite that, seem completely directionless. Now I don't know whether that is on Marcel Brands himself and whether he deserves any blame for that, or 
whether as has been reported is that the owner is driving certain managerial candidates and, and he's playing a big part in that you know that that's not the way that any football club should be run I think Liverpool are a really good model for, for giving you director of football complete control and and get you know building a, a very very clear identity not just in your squad but in terms of the managers you would target so yeah having a a nine-man list has, has been reported today really doesn't bode well and it's it's not entirely clear where the, where the blame lies for that. No, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Of course, if it is Rafa Benitez who ends up at Goodison Park, I'm sure we'll have plenty more fallout here on Blood Red. But moving away from Everton then and maybe a side more aligned to being rivals within perhaps the league table standings fighting for Champions League football and obviously playing Liverpool in a Champions League final just over two years ago now and Tottenham Hotspur who today have called talks with Gennaro Gattuso they have already this summer they've appointed a new director of football from Juventus it looked as though they were going to be bringing in Antonio Conte as well that one fell through the cracks Maurizio Pochettino before that had been linked with the return and Paolo Fonseca too I mean where next for them they've looked at four head coaches they'll be on to a fifth who certainly whoever it is when they walk through the door no they won't definitely be at least within those top four targets that Spurs initially had yeah it's this is another club like like Everton just just seem completely rudderless to me at the moment I think it's you know it, it's much worse as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast it's much worse because they knew that they had this managerial vacancy this summer they sacked Jose Mourinho a long time ago they made clear that Ryan Mason was an interim appointment and in the months since that, they haven't, you know, seemingly made any progress on determining what it is they want. Okay, they've, you know, made a, a forward step in terms of appointing a sporting director, and, and that looked like a really positive move. Okay, Spurs were going to embed a style and going to have really clear ideas, and then they've just gone from pillar to post in terms of, you know, their their own managerial candidates. Then, you know, different issues coming up. I mean, Conte is a, you know, is a candidate. Looked like a real, you know, what an appointment he would have been. I think that's an appointment that that Liverpool fans is. is good as Liverpool have been in recent seasons, as happy as they are with, with the setup at Liverpool, would be slightly worried about, you know, Conte's a manager with the pedigree that would make you think Tottenham could, could turn into title challenges, could be a real threat in Europe. But then as soon as that fell through, they just seemed to have no idea where to go from there. And, and you know, the, the, the talk of the sporting director and the influence he will have, um, it, it, it doesn't look, it doesn't bode particularly well that so early into his reign, um, you've got Gattuso's name coming up and, and then talk that Jorge Mendes is heavily involved in that situation. Now, if you've got a sporting director coming in and, and Gattuso had just left, he just left a job after 20 days because of the involvement of his agent, someone who wants to bring players into clubs where he puts his managers, that, that suggests to me that he would have done the same at Tottenham. He would have had a clear influence in terms of some of the players they'd brought in. I think that's already, in fact, in place. There's some players at, at Tottenham who are already who were represented by Mendes. So his, his influence at that club is quite clear. So then it makes you wonder, OK, if you want to buy into that and you want him to be able to, this super agent with so much scope of influence, you want him to be part of your club and you want to get the benefits of that, don't appoint a sporting director then because you're completely undermining any attempts to you know build an identity there. So, you know, the, the fact that Gattuso has now seemingly been shot down because of fan backlash, that makes sense. I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the negative comments in the past have been brought up and, and rightly so. I think some of his opinions on things aren't, you know, not not acceptable in the modern world is the way I would put it. And um, so, you know, all, all power to the fans for pushing back on that. But it just, it's another blow for Tottenham in the sense that you've just got no idea where they're going to go next and, and, and who they're going to end up with. And I just think, you know, to go from, Conte early in summer, as I said, would you'd think that would be slightly threatening to be where they are now is with with no idea who they're going to appoint and, and you, you just don't really worry about Tottenham next season. I don't I don't think they're gonna be any better. 
don't worry about them challenging Liverpool because I don't think they're going to get a manager or a squad in place that's that's going to be ready to challenge the top trophies, to be honest. Yeah, I think the point you made there about Jorge Mendes, I think both what Jetson Fernandes and Carlos Vinicius, who came in from Portuguese football, were, were his clients. Neither of those really worked out. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think a lot of people listening, Matt, are probably thinking, well, what's it got to do with with Liverpool, how all of these clubs are conducting themselves? But I suppose it, it kind of goes back to sort of serve a, a bit of a, a warning sign for what happens if you do take your eye off the ball and are a bit complacent. Football's continually moving on. We've spoken a number of times on this podcast about the need for Liverpool to evolve the squad at the right time, the right players coming in. It was only two years ago that Liverpool were playing Tottenham in a Champions League final. They were two clubs built in a similar image, really. Young, hungry players brought in, money ball type approach, not huge contracts handed out, and then investing in those players for prime years. Ever since Spurs have lost a player like, say, Moussa Dembele in their midfield, Victor Wanyama's moved on. They've, they've had players like Deli Ali lose form. All of a sudden, things have really changed. And I suppose it does serve as a, a, a warning sign for Liverpool that things can change quite quickly. Yeah, I think it's a warning sign in terms of, of strategy and transfers and, and things like that. But I think more than anything, it's probably a warning sign in, in terms of, of the manager and getting that right. I think, you know, it's it's no coincidence that Maurizio Pochettino has left Tottenham and, and things have, have started to fall apart. Obviously, it goes without saying that that's the case now that they're trying to look for a manager in, in such a haphazard way. But I think if they'd have just stuck out with, with Maurizio Pochettino, then there's maybe less talk about Harry Kane leaving. Obviously, the, the, the sort of squad depth and sort of rejuvenation was something that, that he was desperate for. That's kind of how they fell out, I think, between him and, and Daniel Levy. They didn't quite agree in terms of, of the strategy of, of what needed to be done to take Tottenham to the next level. I think that is is the big mistake that, that they will look back on. And obviously, for Liverpool, it, it's very much the opposite of that. Jurgen Klopp is the perfect person to have there. He's perfectly aligned with Michael Edwards, with the recruitment staff, with Fenway Sports Group, even after the European Super League and, and things like that. That The relationship there is is absolutely perfect. And I think that is, as much as, as anything else, that the reminder for Liverpool is that, obviously, at some point, Jürgen Klopp will move on. But you just hope that the, the kind of structure is there for, for Liverpool to be able to sustain, effectively, just keep doing what they've been doing for, for the last few seasons. So, yeah, I think that was the, the biggest thing for me in terms of, of Tottenham. I think Maurizio Pochettino is an absolutely elite manager. They could have got back there, but they, they nearly reappointed him, didn't they? I mean, yep. just a, a few weeks ago, um, Antonio Conte, I think, would have been a, at that same level. But I think if you take the, the manager out of it, suddenly Tottenham look very, very different. Dave, we're quick to sort of laud the decisions made by those at the top at, at Liverpool, primarily Michael Edwards and the way in which they conduct themselves in the transfer window. But all of those decisions that have been made and been lauded have now gone. It's now all about the next batch of decisions that get made. And uh, dare we rewind the clock two years to that Tottenham side, rather than maybe invest after being in a Champions League final, they thought these players, right, some of them can continue going. Christian Eriksen obviously thought he was getting a move away, a bit of disharmony in the camp with that. Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld in the end sort of age ticking up on them. We know where Liverpool are at with these contracts that they're wanting to hand out for players, but it, it goes to underline the point, doesn't it, that maybe this summer or even next summer, it's it's we're reaching another crossroads maybe where Liverpool do need to invest to ensure that this success they've had now over the last three or four seasons is consolidated. 
Yeah, it gets said all the time, doesn't it? The importance of sort of constantly evolving team when you when you're near the top, and and and, and you know, and sometimes that's used in a negative way in terms of you know trying to put pressure on 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 clubs to just splash the cash needlessly and and um, you know spend with the big boys. And I don't think Liverpool need to do that. They need to keep doing what they what they have been doing recently, which is you know little signings like Jota coming in. You know, there's a clear pathway to him being an ultimate successor to the, one of the you know, one of the members of that front three, isn't there? And just just constantly doing that every summer. It doesn't have to be you know huge signings. It doesn't have to be maybe even bringing a Jaden Sancho in or anything like that. It just has to be just constantly sort of keep that ticking over because there was a statistic doing the rounds when Liverpool did play in that Champions League final about obviously Jurgen Klopp's first game was against Tottenham and the number of Liverpool players who were involved from that game, his first one in charge, to the final in Madrid and then Tottenham's was a you know a much higher number of players still involved and they so they hadn't done that constant evolving, they hadn't been added into the squad, they just sort of you know, stuck with a very similar eleven throughout that period, and, and and ultimately, you know, Madrid proved to be their peak, and they they dropped off since. Where for Liverpool, it was a you know, a really big success on the on the way to subsequently win the Premier League title. And I know last season was more difficult, but we can put a lot of that down to injuries. I think Liverpool have otherwise been very smart in sort of constantly adding to the squad, and 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 that's just a process that that needs to continue this summer. We've already seen the start of that with with Canate coming in. A, 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 a centre half target, you would say, is is not just for the now, but it's also for the future. He got a lot of years ahead of him, hopefully at the the elite level. So, yeah, I think for Liverpool, the importance is is to just keep doing that, just keep adding to those squads, and then you know the big difficult decision will come for Michael Edwards when when Jurgen Klopp does eventually depart, as as Matt touches on. I think Pochettino was such a huge part of Tottenham's success, and I thought they were absolutely crazy at the time to to let him go, and I think that's been proven right in the. In the month since, but it's um, yeah for, for Liverpool for now. It's just keep that squad moving along, and then when that difficult manager's decision comes along, then it's obviously some a huge pressure on getting that one right. Yeah, definitely. Just want to pick up sort of on, on the point you said there as well. That maybe Madrid was kind of the end of their cycle. It feels very much like they are now at the start of a new one. It feels to me not too dissimilar to the situation Liverpool themselves found themselves in in the summer of, of 2012 for a Euros summer as well, as it were at the, the time when Kenny Dalglish had been removed as manager, the first sort of manager that FSG had put in at the helm, but really there to hold the fort until they really got everything sorted behind the scenes. And then it was Brendan Rodgers. But before that, as you well know, Dave, there was a lot of toing and froing. Louis van Gaal, Frank Dibault, Roberto Martinez even. There were a lot of names under consideration before in the end, somewhat a, a rookie manager was was picked. Yeah, I think I, I think there was sort of a, a, a bit of a sort of schism really between the two types of managers who were looking at that time. Because I remember Ancelotti's name sort of was, was doing the rounds a lot as a, a potential Liverpool candidate as well in the past and, and obviously him and Van Gaal you would say were, were sort of similar types of managers in terms of the pedigree and, and, and age even um, and so you know Liverpool were, were, were juggling the idea of either appointing someone like that or, or, or then like you say going down the road of, of, of a couple of rookie managers in Brendan Rodgers and, and Roberto Martinez obviously John Henry met up with Roberto Martinez there were pictures of that scene everywhere they, they, they obviously had a chat about the job and the potential for him to be installed and then Liverpool ultimately went down the route of Rodgers, and I think, I think ever since that point, they are, they have had a, a clearer idea of what they want to be. I think I think Rodgers, you know, didn't quite work out for him in the end, but he was a, a savvy appointment at the time. I think he's proved at Leicester he's done a, an excellent job there. It was maybe a little bit early for him to come into Liverpool, but he was a you know he's by no means a, a poor manager. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I think it shows that they've, they've learned lessons since then. I think they would have a much clearer idea now if it came to appointing a manager. 
in terms of the profile they'd be looking for, I don't think they would be going, you know, to managers as disparate as maybe Rodgers and, and Ancelotti or Van Gaal. I don't think we'd have that problem anymore. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems that have been ironed out since about tra- around transfers as well, that, that, you know, that's something they learned over the course of Rodgers' reign, which I don't think did him many favours, is there was still some problems there around letting the manager have his picks and then the transfer committee having their picks as well. So it's all about learning lessons. I think Liverpool have, have shown that, you know, since then they, they've done that. I don't think a lot of other clubs can say the same in the Premier League. If we look at the way that they're scratching around for managers, struggling with the, with any sort of strategy in terms of signing players and that, that's really helped Liverpool in terms of the recent success is that, you know, some of the rivals just haven't been anywhere near as smart. No, and I suppose that takes us on to, sort of, I suppose, the next point, really, Matt, in, in terms of what we're discussing today, really, in, I suppose, Liverpool sitting back on the sun lounges during the summer, enjoying themselves, knowing things are, are ticking themselves over and they are capitalising on, I suppose, rivals' lapses in, in judgment and involved in that is transfers. Dave's already mentioned Ibrahim Kanate has already been signed. There are obviously speculation around a number of other targets as well, but pick on Tottenham first. And I suppose for them, no matter who's coming in, they know that all but certainly they're going to be losing their best player. When Liverpool were in a similar situation in 2012, they had Luis Suarez to build around. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? I mean, I think that the future of Harry Kane could have been saved for Tottenham if they'd have got the managerial appointment right, if they'd have got Conte or Pochettino, I think. There's a good chance he would have stayed, but I mean, it looks highly unlikely now if someone can put a big enough package together that Daniel Levy and Tottenham can afford to to let him go. I think they probably will end up doing that. So, yeah, it's a a big sort of summer of upheaval for for them and they're not the only ones, are they? I mean, for Liverpool, it's just the case of having got the Canate deal done. They can sit back a little bit. I think they've still got a lot of work to do, but they've got, again, as we said before, a, a very clear plan of, of what they want to do. I think it's it's going to be largely to do with with contracts. I think there'll probably be one or, or two more arrivals in if Liverpool can get one or two players off their books. But it's very much a case, as it seems to be really every single summer, we kind of say that, you know, if, if Jurgen Klopp was to, to go into to next season with the same squad that he's got now, he'd probably be quite happy with that just because of, of Liverpool's slow evolution. It's it's never really been a complete turnaround as it would be for for, for Tottenham, possibly for, for Everton as well. You imagine if they get a new manager in, they'll probably want to put their own stamp on things, bring in a, a number of, of key players. So, yeah, I think for, for Liverpool, it, it is a case of they've still got work to do, but they're certainly well ahead of, of a lot of other teams in the Premier League. Yeah, and I suppose, David, it sort of feeds into the stability that's been built above and that everybody now is an expert within their own department, their leader in field Liverpool in so many different areas that whilst we fantasise and talk and say, oh, Liverpool, FSG need to spend more, they need to bring in Mbappe, they need to bring in Haaland and things, that they've got everything sort of ticking over, taking care of itself, that as soon as the season's finished, bang, they can go and spend £34 million on a centre-half that's going to help fix things for next season. And then, no, they've still got the rest of the summer to offload some players as well as bring some in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I still think there's sort of an element of the support, and I don't know if this is just a social media thing, you, you may be still sceptical about the, the quality of the team that is around Jurgen Klopp, the, the, the whole sporting setup in, in Liverpool, and, and maybe thinks, oh, Liverpool will have no chance if, if say, Jaden Sancho brought him up earlier. It maybe goes to Manchester United this summer. That'll cause real problems for Liverpool. But I think you look at, 
look at the impact that someone like Jota had, who was not someone who was being touted around as a, an absolute must-have in European football last summer. He was a bit of a surprise signing for Liverpool. I think you know people had seen him, quite a talented player at Wolves, but a little bit streaky and not you know not not close to the levels he hit at Liverpool. I know he had an injury disrupted season, but you know, I just think it's anyone who Liverpool sign at the moment, you've got to have faith that, that, that they're going to have a huge impact. And I think. You know, there's there's been some players who've, who've maybe you know in in recent years who, who haven't quite hit the levels you thought of, but the successes that have been you know had around them are proof that they're obviously bringing something to the table. And I think, I just think whatever Liverpool do for the rest of the summer, you, you just should have full faith that that, that, it, that they are right decisions, that they're sensible decisions, because I think that there's just so much evidence built up over the past few years that 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 is the case. That yeah, I don't think Liverpool fans should be should be too concerned at all, despite what other teams are doing, because they've just been so smart with the money, and and, and you know put together a world class setup really. So yeah, for Liverpool fans, it should be just a, another relaxed summer. You know, let's see what happens. Whoever comes in, you can be pretty confident that they're a very good player, and that everything else is there. The setup at Kirby, and, and including the manager, is there to to turn them into huge successes at Anfield. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. If there's a third club as an example to, I suppose, highlight, Matt, that Liverpool really are getting things done correctly and it is actually, I suppose, a time to celebrate Liverpool off the pitch as much as on it right now in how well they're set up is is Manchester United. Dave mentioned Jadon Sancho there and we heard all summer last year about how they were chasing Jadon Sancho, how they were actually locked in negotiations and couldn't get it done. They've returned to it this summer, still £10 million short in the valuation of the play. You can't see Liverpool being in that kind of position. Yes, there were the rumours with Timo Werner for for so long as well, but never an indication that Liverpool were locked in the negotiations and being held to ransom by a club like RB Leipzig, much like the way in which Manchester United have found themselves with Jadon Sancho. Yeah, I think that's the, the crucial thing, isn't it, with Liverpool? Everything seems to just happen so quickly. They knew very, very early on that there was a release clause there for, for Conate and they, they went in and they paid that and they made that decision and they were decisive. And I think that would be I think the frustration for Manchester United, I, I still can't believe that they didn't just pay the money for him last summer. I think at the age he is, the numbers that he's put down, I mean, 110 million, I think it was, possibly pounds, maybe yeah. euros, I can't quite remember. But, you know, at, at that price for a club of Manchester United stature who got the money to do that, I think it would have made, you know, financial sense in the long term. Okay, it's, you know, a huge investment, a big signing, but I think that would have, have made sense. I think it's different for Liverpool. They don't work on the same budget. They don't pay the same wages. They do things in a different way. But I think if he is your top target and he's the one that you've decided on, you just have to, to pay the money at some point. And they've done it in the past. They've done it with Harry Maguire. They've paid well over the odds for him. I think he's a decent player, but certainly not an 80, 85 million pound player. And I don't quite really understand why they didn't do that with Jadon Sancho. I think the price tag, by all accounts, 12 months on is, is lower. It's about 20 or 30 million less than what they would have had to have paid last summer. But still, they're messing about, trying to do it cheap, trying to, to do these things. And at some point, you just have to say, you know what, the extra 10 million pounds where Manchester United will just pay it and, and just get it, get it over the line and, and do it. If you think he is that much of a game-changing player and he'll bring so much to the side just just get it done pay the money do it and, and you're sorted and I think obviously Liverpool are much cleverer in terms of, of their signings I don't think you know they would have, have genuinely considered going for, for someone of, of Sancho's quality just because of, of the price tag attached but you just know for a fact that 
at Liverpool's level, Diogo Jota, for example, probably a lot of people last summer would have thought that that was, you know, a big sort of gamble to take with the, the, the fee that they put down. But they did it. They did it quickly. They got it over the line, got the player in and, and sort of feel that the benefits of that, I think... The, the worst thing that you can have in, in terms of a, a transfer saga is just for it to drag on and on and on. And it's not even like it's one summer for Manchester United now. It looks like it's going to take two summers. You're then just dragging the whole thing out, delaying it, making it much more difficult than it needs to be. And I think, you know, for, for Liverpool, as I say, it's not going to be the same level of, of sort of numbers. They're not going to go and, and spend 80, 90 million on a player. But if, for example, Florian Neuhaus is the one that they want, if there's a deal to be done at 40 million, they'll just do it and they'll do it quickly and it'll be over the line. We'll report on it and it'll just happen. It, it's just one of those things that I think Liverpool are just so clinical and, and so clever. Maybe some of the other clubs and, and Jaden Sancho, the prime example, they just take too long, mess about with it, trying to, to sort of get a, a better deal when sometimes it, it's just better to, to get it done, get the player in and, and get on with it, really. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Is with Liverpool, I, I think the only one you can sort of say with Liverpool that it, it dragged on with was Virgil van Dijk, the breakdown in negotiations with Southampton, but then it was all rectified by the time the transfer window were to open the next time. Bang, the deal was, was already done. And, and Liverpool seemed to sort of have a liking for... I suppose David, a smokescreen signing almost. They either create a fuss over one player like Jamal Lewis last year and then sign Costa Simicas, or they drag out the Thiago rumour mill and in the background are working away on the Diogo Jota deal, or, or even they completely spring them out of nowhere and, and sign Fabinho off the back of a Champions League final disappointment. Yeah, I think that subtlety just sort of, you know, suggests to me and, and, and sort of really highlights the fact that they, they, they're very good at sort of creating relationships with agents and player representatives and sort of that helps keep things quiet if, if if players' representatives aren't talking to the media about deals. So, you know, Michael Edwards, it's one of the big things he's done. You know, for example, for Canate, it would have been very easy for, for his agent, for example, to, to, you know, make that release clause known to quite a lot of clubs. But I think what Liverpool made clear to him was, you know, they'd really sold the project, the idea of, okay, if you come to Liverpool, we, you know, we can give you this amount of games, we can we can turn you into this, you, you're playing under Jurgen Klopp, you're playing for a team that's won the major honours very recently and hopes to do so again, um, you know, and create a really clear pathway for him. So, so much so that, the you know, the idea of him going anywhere else was, you obviously didn't appeal, he was obviously very sold on the idea of coming to Liverpool and, and so... You know, there was no speculation that he was going to go elsewhere up until the point that the deal, you know, Liverpool said, okay, we'll qualify for the Champions League and we'll, we'll trigger your release clause and that, that gets done. So I think, I think all that is a, is a massive part of, of how Liverpool sort of tends to keep a lot of the signings quiet. I know, you know, that can't always be the case with, with Thiago, for example, last summer that sort of snuck out from the Bayern side, but that was primarily because they were trying to sort of drum up interest from elsewhere, Bayern and, you know, knowing that he had one year left on his contract, it was the last opportunity to make any money on it. So, you know, Liverpool can't control that completely. But yeah, I think these relationships with players' representatives are a massive part of it. And that, that's another element of the, the transfer market for which Michael Edwards really deserves some credit. Yeah, that was smart though with the Thiago stuff. That, as I say, they, they dragged it out seemingly long enough to make sure they could tie up Diogo Jota. What within the space of twenty four hours of that deal, and nobody had heard a, heard a peep about that one. Albeit, he'd, I think Mister a Wolves preseason friendly, hadn't he, or Europa League qualifier? But in terms of 
we've we've highlighted there Everton, Tottenham and Manchester United, examples where actually Liverpool really are sort of class leaders and ahead of their game. But in terms of other sides then who are smart and clever with all of these kind of things, Matt, I suppose we, we've got to talk about Leicester City. It isn't just Liverpool in the Premier League who are running their ship very well at the moment. And Leicester at the moment, talk of them going in for a rumoured and reported Liverpool target in Patson Dakar, Bubakari. Samara looks as though he's a player from Lille who they're going to sign as well as Odson Edward from Celtic's been heavily linked. They too seem to do things very cleverly. They do. They're, they're very much like Liverpool, but in a, a kind of slightly lesser way in terms of the sort of stature of player that they go for. I think the interesting thing with probably Edouard and probably Dakar as, as well, well, certainly Dakar as well, is that Leicester are maybe sort of prepared to, to take a little bit more of a, a risk with them. I know Pats and Dakar scored a lot of goals last season in Austria, but he's not done it in the Champions League. He's not done it in the Europa League. I think Leicester are maybe more inclined to, to sort of gamble that his sort of Austrian Bundesliga form can translate to the Premier League. And I think we've seen that before. We've seen it with Wesley Fofana. We've seen it with with other players as well. Liverpool tend to, to let these players move to these other lesser Premier League clubs and, and then see how they get on there and, and then sort of do the deal for these players a little bit later on. I think Edouard is, is very, very similar, obviously very highly rated, but He's been doing it at Celtic and it was very similar with Virgil van Dijk. I'm sure Liverpool would have been aware of him when he was at Celtic, but they let him go to Southampton, sort of develop in the Premier League and, and then buy him when he's ready-made. So I think there'll be a lot of frustration, I think, that, that Leicester have, have made these signings. But I think that's the kind of reason for, for Liverpool not going for them just that, just yet. They may well go back and, and have a look at these players in the future. But yeah, in terms of, of the sort of sensible nature of the transfer business. Again, Leicester is a club that, that knows exactly what they want. They know what they need. They're looking, obviously, long-term at, at maybe Jamie Vardy. I know he's spoken out this week about not wanting to retire anytime soon, but it's going to come at some point. There's going to be a point in time when maybe he loses a yard of pace and isn't quite the same player. They've obviously got that succession plan in place already. Pats and Dakar looks you know, on the, the sort of clips and, and sort of experts that we've spoken to, he, he kind of seems to be a long-term successor to him, can do similar sorts of things. It's just very sensible, very long-term, I think, from Leicester. Not quite on the same level as, as Liverpool in terms of the sorts of, of numbers and, and the established players, but in their own sort of way, they do things, I think, very, very similarly. And again, to, to touch on Brendan Rodgers, I think it's, it's interesting as well. We kind of mentioned before that, you know, Liverpool had learned the lessons of, of Brendan Rodgers I think Brendan Rodgers has very much learned the lessons of Liverpool as well. He seems to, to be a little bit more open to, to taking these sorts of signings. I'm sure you know he'll be absolutely sold on them as well. But I think this is you know very much signings that Leicester's recruitment team have, have looked at and can work with the team. So yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. There's, there's certainly a lot to be impressed by. I think at, at Leicester. Yeah, taking what Matt said there, took it off my, my tongue to be honest. Uh, Dave, in terms of Brendan Rodgers learning from his experiences at Liverpool and going into Leicester, I suppose in many ways, Leicester now sort of treading in Liverpool's footsteps of getting themselves. We know that the, the stat that's been trotted out over the last two years, no club spent longer in the top four than them. Obviously, they haven't secured Champions League football in either, either of those seasons. But when you think even when Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, the signing of someone like, say, for example, Sadio Mane, if you compare that maybe to the Pats and Dakar signing. I know Liverpool last summer signed Diogo Jota. You could draw comparisons to that Mane signing. But Jota didn't come in and play all of the games like Mane did when he first arrived. Yet 
Leicester have now kind of got that place in the market of they can buy these under 23-year-old, under 24-year-old players who others right at the top end might think that's a risk, but for them, it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, I think I think that's the major difference, isn't it, between Liverpool and Leicester is, is sort of what they can guarantee to those players. So if you're coming from you know, the Austrian Bundesliga, like like Dakar is, it's it's probably easier for Leicester to make the case that they can give him a certain amount of games and, and give him that adaptation period than, than Liverpool that would, you know, probably need him to, to hit the ground running. I think that's the difference in, in terms of, you know, I know Liverpool liked Sadio Mane all, all the way back to, to him being at Salzburg, but just didn't sort of, uh, initially it was a work permit issue, but then further down the line sort of didn't, you know, couldn't really make the case that he could make the, the straight jump up to the Premier League with them. So then they wait for his, his little stints at Southampton and, and, and then, you know, obviously going for him and he becomes incredible for Liverpool. And it's similar with Jota, isn't it? He, he sort of bounced around a little bit, but then once he gets some experience in a major league, that convinces Liverpool they can move. I think the, the problem for Liverpool with Leicester is that, they, you know, there's been a lot of talk, say, for example, that Yuri Tielemans, who, who Leicester gave a chance, has turned into one of the, the top Premier League midfielders for me. There's been a lot of talk about Liverpool going for him this summer, for example, as, as a replacement for maybe if someone like Cater moved on. Um, and I struggle to see that just purely because Leicester are also excellent at, at selling players. Um, you know, we, we touched on Harry Maguire and we did the, the, the amount of money he got for him. I think if, if someone was coming for Tielemans, it'd be for an amount of money that Liverpool would deem probably not worth it, you know, or too expensive for them. Um, so I think I think for them, you know, capitalising on the fact that Leicester is smart is going to be very difficult uh, for Liverpool. I don't think they'll turn into another Southampton for Liverpool or anything like that because of, because of the prices they put on the players and that they've developed and, and, and absolutely rightly so. But yeah, just a, just an incredibly smartly run football club. I'm really, really sort of interested to see how how Daki gets on there because I think Matt's right. I think he he does look like a, a sort of ready-made eventual uh, Jamie Vardy replacement if he can sort of pick up the, the pace of this league and, and and yeah, just be really interesting to watch. I, I would you know I would like to see Leicester get in the Champions League one season as well because I just think they they almost deserve it for for just how intelligently they run and 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 just yeah the the, the way the whole club's conducted. Um, you know, they're so much smarter than a lot of the bigger teams around them. So it'd just be nice to see them get over the line and get that reward. I'm just glad, obviously, this season they didn't pick Liverpool to, to get in fourth place. No, most definitely. But with someone like Rodgers, who is quite a canny tactician as well, you can imagine him even maybe lining up Dakar and Vardy in the same strike force. He did it with the Inacho towards the end of last season. Anyway, that's all we've got time for here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. My thanks goes to Matt Addison and David Lynch. You two for watching or listening in. Do be sure to check out all of our content across the Blood Red channel. But until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.